Here at Text Talks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're excited to have Text Talks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. You've got the look. Now come and have some fun with us in the sun. Together, Text Talks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you are on. You can't predict the light, but with Text Talks and Ray-Ban, you are always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You are on. Define your style at superbulous.com. Welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex, and today I am talking to a man who is much loved and revered in the industry for his humble nature and his musical prowess. Over an 18-year career that has seen him flawlessly reinvent himself more than a few times, there's always been a part of him that stuck to his guns while adapting to the changing times around him. With a string of number one albums, sold-out arena tours, and a whole country of Afrikaans hearts under his belt, he is quite simply the undisputed king of South African rock and roll. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Francois Van Kook. Franny, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for that intro. I feel humbled as all hell. Um, and, and I feel so stoked to be on your show, finally. Amazing. I know. I'm so happy that we finally get to do this. I've been threatening to have you on the show forever, and I'm so glad that we finally made time. Yay! Cool. Awesome to be here. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, with you, we have this massive legacy to unpack, right? And I feel like it makes sense to start at the beginning because of how, in many ways, you've come full circle from where you started to where you are now. So I want to know, what was it like growing up the youngest of three siblings in the Badenhorst household? <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting... Um interesting time and place to grow up i mean um and also my dad is a dutch reform minister so that made things exactly. even more interesting um i think my my family is quite creative you know i, I grew up in a house where people were into music um but it was also quite conservative in a way you know my dad is a is a dutch reform minister um so we spent a lot of time in church. We lived across the street from the church. We were always the last people that would walk into the church. <laughs> I was always super embarrassed by that, walking in with my my mom and my two sisters, last people to walk in. Um, that's why I'm like super punctual. I was actually waiting for this interview for like 10 minutes. Um, uh, I'm super punctual these days because we were always late to get to church. Um, but I mean, I, I, have a, I had a happy upbringing. I was... I was stoked to live in Belleville. It's all I knew. My world was like probably um, as big as like a five kilometer radius. You know, when I grew up, I didn't know much else. Um, and yeah, I, I was a happy kid. My sisters dressed me up. We had plays around the house for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I feel like yours was a self-fulfilling prophecy, though. I mean, you've said that your father was a was a domini and your your mom was a teacher, and like it's almost like they were basically daring you to be rebellious from the get go. But what <laughs> what was little Franny like? I mean, were you a little shit or were you a blonde haired, blue eyed angel? I think I was kind of a bit of an angel, eh? To be honest, I think I was like kind of a model child. I I don't think I gave my parents too much shit. My I think my my eldest sister, she was the, she was a rebel, and she kind of paved the way. She made she made it easy for uh, the other two. Um, my my middle sister kind of she she she's like slightly more conservative now because because she kind of had to pull back the reins a bit from my elder sister that was completely out there. <laughs> so my road to rebellion was actually quite easy. But I mean, through um, most of my school career, I was quite. Chilled. I mean, I, th I think I had a little bit of a rebellious streak when I was like in early high school. I would say when I was 14, smoked a bit of weed. And then I became a, a reborn Christian at 16, like completely 
and utterly reborn empowered oh, wow. you know what i mean sure. so so then like uh, my focus was like on um kind of like trying to turn people to god that was kind of my main mission in life from when i was 16 to 19 and when i realized like that is not the way i wanted to live then i think like i felt like um, I can be liberated now. And that's when the first thoughts of Fokof Polisikar kind of started for me, Vainat and Hunter, that kind of went through the same thing. That's very interesting. I totally didn't know that about you because oh. I was wondering while I was thinking about what to ask you because there's so much to unpack and there's so much to talk about. I, I didn't really know whether or not that there was a turning point for you, like, okay, that's it, it's music or nothing for me, or if you were just kind of doing this music thing without any real direction. Now maybe I can, t- I can take you back a little bit. I think, I think like in, um, when I got into high school, I was all about playing rugby. Passing it on, will they get a penalty? Still there, there is the penalty. That was like that was like my main my main thing. I just wanted to play rugby, but then in that same time, I fell in love with Nirvana and Paul Jam. That was mm-hmm. like the the tunes of the time. It was 1994, the year Kurt Cobain died. Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of the enormously popular rock band Nirvana, is dead. Apparently, he was a suicide at the age of 27. I was in standard six. You know that was all um everyone was into that stuff you know what i mean so that changed my life so then then i wanted to pick up a guitar at 16 i picked up a guitar played in my first band and that whole christian um phase that i went through was also very much surrounded by christian music so that's kind of the thing that kind of pulled us into the church there was like a a bit of a Christian music scene in the northern suburbs um, and the greater Belleville, I guess. Um, and there was like Christian bands like uh, Nailed. I don't know if you know any of these names. Nailed and um, Prayer that kind of became Nishama. I'm sure you you remember the name Nishama. Yeah, that I do, but um, the rest I don't. Yeah, there was a bunch of bands. Yeah, and, and in the area where I stay now, um, there, there was a little... Um, a, a, kind of an open open field where where they used to throw like little christian shows with with bands on weekends and we went to go see bands there it's like in the same area that i stay now it's quite it's quite weird but but that kind of pulled us into into music even more so all of us met in this scene mm. so um i met I, I i met vainant in high school but i became friends with vainant in this scene i met hunter in this kind of Christian punk bowel scene. Um, the guys from like Snake and Johnny that also play in Folk of Police Guard, they were in a young band that kind of played in that scene. And um, and uh, you know, the church that we were a part of kind of changed its um, teaching, I guess, at a stage. And then mm-hmm. it kind of, everyone kind of left the church kind of at the same time and started thinking for themselves. Do you remember how the crowd reacted at Woodstock and Hard to Be As Put when you guys played your first full show as Folk of Polisikar? I I was quite drunk, to be honest. <laughs> I can't really remember. <laughs> like, uh, we were supposed to play. It was one of those festivals that ran late. You know, one of those things. So I think we were supposed to play like a couple of hours earlier and we timed it like that and it didn't work out like that. You know what I mean? But um, when we played, I think I've actually seen a video of that show, and I think we actually sounded pretty decent. The crowd was like not really responsive. They were like, what the hell is going on here? They don't know anything about this band with a crazy name. You know what I mean? It was like we're playing these Afrikaans songs on kind of the punk alternative stage. It was like the Nile Crocodile stage, I think they called it. Um, so people, I, I don't think people really knew what the hell was going on. I read that the first time Fokov was featured in a magazine, you were still using your actual surname, which is Badenhorst, right? And the people at the church that your dad was a a domini at weren't very thrilled with the name of the band. So I'm sure, you know, you were hot gossip amongst all the tannies there on a Sunday. And then your mom asked you to change 
your stage name or to your stage name. But I mean, let's be honest, Franny, she did she did you a huge favor because Barton Horse Cartel like doesn't have the same ring to it. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. But how did that conversation with your mother go? Like, what did she say when she asked you to change it? Yeah, you're very close to the true story. It was like uh, the first review review of our first EP was in Die Burger, the Afrikaans newspaper. And it was actually quite a, a, a positive review. The guy was like, no, he really likes this music. Although he's a complete conservative Afrikaans dude, I, I thought. Um, but but it was like there was a photo of the band and our names were listed. Hunter Kennedy, Johnny DeRitter, Francho Bodnors. And obviously, like you said, it became a thing in the church that it upset some of, of the members of my dad's church. And some some of them found the pastori, that's like the, the house where the Domini stays. And they were like, what's going on with... Um, your son, you know, he's in this band. I wasn't even, <laughs> I wasn't even living with my parents anymore at that stage. So it's anyway quite weird. But then uh, my mom approached me and she just said, um, "Can you try not use your surname in the media anymore? Ah. Your surname." She didn't. She didn't say I must use anything else. She just said, "Try not use the surname." But before that, months before that, before when we came up with this idea for Kuplisikar, um, I told them. I'm kind of quitting my job. I'm not really going to do sound anymore. I'm going to play in this band. But I couldn't tell them the name because I knew they were going to be too upset about it. But then um, the message got to my mom through Pierre Grief from Devils. Um, we're cousins and his mom heard the name before my mom told my mom and when my mom heard the name she cried for two days no shame <laughs> it was like it was like a complete shock to the system for my mom you know it was this anti authoritarian band you know like it was just something that she wasn't ready for so um when all this hype began with the band and people coming against it and then people from the church calling about it she was like please just kind of leave us out of it kind of a thing you know what i mean <laughs> and um and then the van coke thing was like a, a old a old joke we um in a in a band before folk of police car i mean i played in a band called new world inside and we won a battle of the bands somewhere at some stage and uh, we, it was one of those prizes that you win, like a recording at some uh, recording studio where they teach people how to record, like that mm -hmm. kind of vibe. So we got a recording that was really terrible, <laughs> you know, one that you, one that you can't really use. But when we recorded there, the engineer was from Friedendahl and our drummer was from Friedendahl. And there was a Coca-Cola factory in Friedendahl and they spoke about this guy Johan van Kook. And we thought, damn, that's such so funny. Imagine that was that guy's surname. And when my mom asked me to not use Badenhorst in the press, the next interview I walked into was also with Die Berger. And I said, my name is Franja van, van Kook from today. And that was, it was April 2004. So I've been van Kook since then. You know, I want to pick up on something that you just, you said at the beginning after I asked my question. You said it's close to the real story, right? And I've read so much about you over the years. I, you know, whether or not some of these stories are true, whether or not, you know, they've been stompies that have been picked up and have been manipulated through people who have said things over the years or, you know, sources close to someone. But how many stories have kind of broken telephone themselves and and evolved over the years to maybe take on a life of their own? And then you hear it and you're like, shit, really? Was that how it went down? Like <laughs> no, there's a couple. Eh? There's like extreme <laughs> ones. Like really. Um, a friend of mine once uh, messaged me and he said like he can't listen to our music anymore. Because you heard that I slaughtered a cat on stage. <laughs> and 
I was like, what the fuck? Are you mental? I, there's no way I would ever do anything like that. How can you even think that? But I'm, you know how that came about, I think, is because I puked on stage. In Afrikaans, people say you're the kat geskiet if you puke on stage. Uh... So I think it went like from kat geskiet to <laughs> kill the cat, slaughter the cat on stage. So weird. Like that was probably the most extreme one. Another one that I that I also heard from years ago is that Feynman injected me with cortisone in my neck backstage before a show, which is also completely <laughs> untrue. But it's got it's got grounds in the truth because uh, I um when I was younger I was messing up my voice a lot and I got a lot of cortisone injections, steroids to to actually push through shows. Mm. For the inflammation, but Bernard has never <laughs> injected me. I've never gotten the injection backstage. It's like, but people believe that like it's the truth. You know what I mean? It's super weird. My favorite one, and you can tell me whether or not this is grounded in truth or fiction, was either at Grahamstown or Carcon Car when you and Vaynant got into like a mad drunken ball and some brawl and someone clapped somebody else on the head with a, with a Jägermeister bottle. Um, yeah, it's kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> no, we had a, like, Vanna's my best mate, you know, he's my manager now as well in my solo capacity. We've been friends since high school. Like I said, like I said, we, we played in a band together when I was, I was in standard eight and he was in matric. That's how long we, we go back. So, so, um, growing up and playing in a band together, being business partners, we also did sound together for a long time. He's like he's really like a brother. I mean, we it's had like family, yeah. it's like proper. What happened with us was proper sibling rivalry. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we would we had we had physical fights from time to time. The last one was actually that one that you're referring to. It was um, that was in 2009, and it was at our club actually. But ah. I think it was kind of the biggest fight that we had. Um, but we kind of I ended up in hospital. I had like proper cuts to my face. Um, but, but how the Jägermeister thing came in is the next day, um, I had an interview with a newspaper about the the play that I was in. Me and Peach van Pletsen actually made like music for this play. Very weird. You don't want to know any more about it. But I did, I, did, I, did a, I did an interview about this play. But then obviously I had like all these bruises in my face and cuts and stitches and like my hand was wrapped up. Oh my God. And then they were like, what happened to you? And I was like, no, 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 but I slipped on, on Jägermeister. That was my, that was my, that was my kind of excuse or euphemism that I used for the, for the vibe. But um, yeah, he did whack me with something, but it wasn't a ball of Jägermeister. Oh my God. I love it. I, and I remember there was like a picture of your face in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. There's a proper, um, Proper picture of that where, you know, with like brand new stitches, etc. Hmm. You mentioned your cousin, Pierre from Hevels, and uh, I had him on the second season. Of I actually Tech listened Talks. to that one. Uh, it was such a great conversation. And, and we spoke a lot about MCAR and the role that, that it played in the rise of Hevels. And I think that MCAR was also, also hugely beneficial in growing Fokov's career. I mean, that Liam Lynch video for x Gain, it's pretty much become like a cultural cornerstone of sorts. And, and I remember when like MCAR used to play it basically every hour on the hour almost. But how instrumental was the TV channel in helping you reach a wider audience? Yeah, I think at that time um, we were very lucky when MK kicked off, um, we already had music videos with Folk of Poliskar. So we, um, I think before MK was around, I think we had two. We had Yemalopi Platland that came out in early 2004. We had nowhere to play it. I don't know why we why we actually made music videos. <laughs> it was before YouTube, I think. You, you know had a I mean? dream, Franny. You had yeah. a dream. <laughs> it was before YouTube. Actually, why we made a music video was we met Johan Nell, this director. I don't know if you ever met him. He lives in... Um, in Amsterdam now. He mm -hmm. directed all the early Folk of Polisikar music videos. But we met him and he was like, you guys need a music video. He was like <laughs> really into, into Folk of Polisikar. And that's probably why we made it. But we made Jemelopi Platland and Tefreda and then MK started. I, I, 
I might be wrong, but I think the first music video that MK ever played was Fokker Blies Karte Vrede. Okay. Um, that so, was the rugby one. The rugby one, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously we had videos before kind of other bands had videos, so they had to play our stuff the whole time. So <laughs> it, 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 was, it was massive for us. I mean, at that stage, you remember what it was like every bar every music venue was playing mk through the day it was everywhere like you were kind of famous um in the afrikaans alternative circles instantly i mean mm-hmm. i think folk of it already had like a quite a quite a big following at that stage because we've already toured a bit but but i think it definitely took us to another level and and mk was really good for funko cartel i mean in the in yeah the, in the time after folk of um we we also had a great relationship with MK, so they also helped us make a lot of music videos, um, and I think that also really helped that band to be uh, come to another level, you know. Mm. And we'll get to Vanco Cartel, but when you look back on those first few years of Forkov, is there a moment that stands out to you that made you feel like? Okay, this is different. Like things weren't like this with New World Inside or with AS180, for example. Yeah, I think we knew it when we got together already. Eh? When we when we had the five guys together and we wrote those first couple of songs and we played it to our friends, we were like, "There's something special here." We we knew it. We knew it from the start. I think I think it really kind of made sense when we recorded the songs and we could listen back to it, and it was like. You know, this is what we wanted to do, but we knew it from the start. We knew it was something special because it was just it was it was just something that you know um, people were looking for, and we were just there at the right place and right time to be the vehicle for those things to kind of come out. You know, obviously, you have a huge following in Cape Town in the Western Cape because that's your home, but. You've got a gigantic following in Gauteng, specifically Pretoria. And I remember describing one of your later Opikopi shows as like a religious experience. But people really are that fanatical about Fokov up there. Why, why do you think your music holds such a very special place in so many people's hearts? Yes, I think, um, I think you know, I think it's a couple of things. I think um, it was something that... I, wasn't there you know what i mean mm-hmm. it was something that was brand new and i think that hunter really has the ability to write lyrics that say things that people want to say or think wish they said and that is something that people connect to so well so i think a big part of it is the lyrical content you know i remember those early shows you know like people saying every word yeah. From, from from every song you know these days it's a little bit different because it's like more like a singles kind of culture you know people mm-hmm. listen to singles more but then like we would we would start a folk of show and people would sing every lyric from this top to the bottom people connected with that and i think that's probably the main thing that connected with people so so well it was just like um something uh that's different people could scream things that they were never allowed to, you know, it was just, uh, it was like a liberating thing for a bunch of young Afrikaans people that didn't know where they fit in. Mm. I mean, I'm not even Afrikaans, but your music captured such a great zeitgeist at that time. And Hunter is, and well, he still is an expert in capturing the mood of a time, like even now, um, and I think that while those early days of Fokov were very much a middle finger to the establishment and this disillusionment with being Afrikaans and not wanting to be associated with the social political implications of, of what came before. Yeah. But what does being Afrikaans mean to you now? Yes, that's that's quite a that's quite a hectic question. Um, I mean, you know, like then then it was a different thing for us like 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 you said like it was this battle against like our upbringing and the tradition and um you know the uh christian nationalistic values you know it was all of all of those things now 
Now it's it's not that much about the language for me. It's just it's just the I just express myself the best in Afrikaans. Know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. being Afrikaans, I'm I'm not in Afrikaans. You call it the tall strider, um, someone that is really on a fight or in a fight for the language. I'm 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 not like that. I just speak Afrikaans and I sing in Afrikaans mainly because I express myself the best in that language. Um, I just see myself as an um, South African. I'm not really, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't see myself as Afrikaans first and foremost, more mm-hmm. South African than anything else. So before we continue with the episode, we would just like to tell you about something that is very close to our hearts over at Tech Talks, and that's the people of South Africa. During these unprecedented times, those who are the most vulnerable have had to shoulder an almost impossible burden, the daily struggle to find food. The never-ending lockdowns have made an existing situation worse, with those in need struggling to find a solid meal. Enter SA Harvest. Founded by CEO Alan Brody and an all-star board, including Gideon Novik, who founded Kalula and Lyft Airlines, SA Harvest has committed teams in Johannesburg, Cape Town, and Durban to help fulfill their mission. So go on to saharvest.org and hit that donate button in the top right-hand corner. And now back to the episode. The last time that we sat down and we had a conversation was around your last album, Dacht Roma in Suburbia, which basically means like daydreams in the suburbs. Um, And I remember we were talking about the album and you were walking me through all the tracks and you said, I'm kind of in a really weird space at the moment because, you know, this album is supposed to be almost like a 180 of sorts. You know, I started in the suburbs and I'm, you know, back in the suburbs now with my family um, you know, and, uh, things aren't necessarily that great in the country, but I have hope. Um, and you know, I'm looking towards the future, but like two days ago I was hijacked. Um, and I remember you were in a very weird space about that and, you know, things from a political standpoint aren't necessarily the best in this country, you know, <laughs> with everything that's going on, but how, how do you f- feel now? Do you feel different? Yeah. I mean, it is like two years later. Yeah, and we had COVID in between that didn't make oh. us all that hopeful, right? Um, yeah, you know what, Tekla, I like. I'm, I'm still, I'm still hopeful. I like. I'm, I'm. Uh, everything that I have is here. I'm mm-hmm. not going anywhere. So I want to make the best of this place uh, for me and my family and the people around me and the people that are into my music. I want to. I want to try and explain what we have here you know i want to talk about what we are south africans our problems our fears um i'm just i'm a part of this thing i'm not going anywhere else so i'm like i've got hope but i also want to talk about you know how it feels to be south african Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so um yeah there's definitely hope but i i think it's necessary for us to talk about how we feel about this you know what i mean like um that there is issues that we uh, there's a lot of people that need to connect with one another in a different way um you know just all of those things i think that's that's important mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why um your i think your music has gotten better as you've gotten older because you're you know now you're writing your own songs and you're not scared to take on those things that you know maybe you weren't writing about back in the day but i want to go back to like things are going pretty lacquer with fork off but then everyone (laughs) goes off and they decide to do other things here vols a king and then you start vancouver cartel with veinand and wow franny those early days were messy (laughs) and like you sent me a photo a few months back of an article that i wrote for lmg magazine the best street press music publication this country has ever seen r.i.p but I, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So you sent me this picture of this article, and I can't remember what I wrote, but the introduction was harsh, mm-hmm. and I was not very nice. But 
VCK turned a corner after like Justin went out and Jason came in and you got Jed on board and you started to make legit music. What was that driving force behind VCK's turnaround after the first album? Just like it. Um, let's take it back a little bit. Like when, when Fokov took a break, it wasn't really my choice, you know? So so for me, Fokov Polisica was the alpha and the omega. It was like the only thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to do anything else at that stage, you know? We're talking like in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, it was it was more Hunter and Johnny that wanted to do other things. You know, Johnny wanted to start the studio. Hunter had other ideas of maybe, you know, writing for some other people or studying something. But to me, you know, I wanted to be the singer for Folk of Polisikar. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do anything else. So the 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 um, the kind of breakup. It wasn't easy for me, you know what I mean. And I didn't have any, I didn't have any other plans, you know. Like I was like the the drunk singer of Book of Politica. <laughs> that that was like that was what I wanted to be, you know. Was it I a mean? breakup at the time, or was it a hiatus? Yeah, I, I think we, I think we called it the end. It was supposed to be the end. I mean, at at the end of 20, 2006, I think two thousand seven, we did a Kirsten Bosch show. I think that was supposed to be the last one. You know, um, I think some of us, like me, still, still had hope that it was going to carry on. But I think, um, you know, it was our final show. I think we built it like that even at the time, 20 years ago. <laughs> we <laughs> were like, ah, they're going to come back. Just watch. <laughs> but, <laughs> Don't believe but, them. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was tough for me. So so for me, going into into Funko Cartel and starting to write songs, playing guitar, um, and being kind of depressed about my circumstances, it was it was not an easy time. So I obviously I was I was partying super hard in that period as well. So it was like a lot of boozing, a lot of drugs, a lot of hangovers, a lot of songwriting, and putting this album together in that time. Um, and you know, like now, if I think back back to it, that first. Um, that first Funko Cartel album, I think, has got some cool songs on it. I feel very weird about uh, how I felt at the time because I was, it was like this uncertain, angry, angsty 26 year old that actually just wanted to die. That's like kind of what, what I feel Jesus. like if I listen to that, <laughs> if I listen to those songs. But, but, um, I mean, we're record- laughing about it now, but <laughs> Jesus. But there's some truth to it, you know what I mean? That's how I felt. I, di- I didn't know like, like how long I'm gonna last. I was like, what? Like it was no old board, whatever. There was whatever even happens an, happens. There you was know even what I mean? an article that someone wrote about like, you know, if you keep this up, you're not gonna see like the next two years. I thought that was very harsh, by the way. I remember that, and I like sure. that was like kind of it was very hectic for me that article i mean because i felt offended by it mm-hmm. you know i wasn't like i'm in trouble i'm going to die i was like i was offended by why do you say that about me you know what i mean that's how i felt at the time so mm-hmm. it was a tough time for me so you know we started this thing it was like it felt like us against the world and then at that same time we we released our album it was kind of like the response wasn't great and we were kind of playing all the kind of the club shows and then a king released their album you know from the same background two of the members of Focal Police Car and they blew up immediately and they playing all the headlining all the festivals and we're like grinding it out in the clubs you know what I mean ah, like loud underground rock music so I was kind of like damn this this thing kind of sucks we're like working our asses off it's not working i'm parting my, my, my myself in my mood i'm you know it was just a very uncertain weird time so mm-hmm. so i think like natural progression things happened um we we, we made a second album and we made a third one skopsky and donner and that's where peach van pletsen came on board and he produced that album i i, I said earlier we made music for the for this play, but it was around that time for the play, um, 2009, that I met him. We made those tunes together, and I got him to produce this the the third album, Skopskin Dawner. That was a great and, album. 
and he played drums on it and he brought in like someone to play lead guitar and we we made like this more of a package like more of a full-on production than than the very rough around the edges first two and and then we came home and we were like damn we need to get someone to play lead guitar on these things and we met Jed, hit it off with him um we got Jason on board a little bit later. I think we worked with another two drummers before we got got him. And when the four of us got together, it was like, boom, this is the right combo for Funko Cartel, you know? So it like it took like basically like I think five years for us to find the <laughs> the right um dynamic in the band, you know? It it and and that's such an important thing. You know, I'm I'm very glad that I've had that with Folk of Police Car and I'm very glad that I found that with Van Kokartel as well, eventually. I remember Van Kokartel headlined Ramfest. I don't know what year it is. All the years blur into one for me lately. But yeah, I'm also wearing... talking like 2009, 2010. I'm not really sure. What yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometime then. But I remember you guys were wearing these wolf-shaped helmets and they had these laser eyes. And you had this incredible light show and smoke show. And it was one of the most insane things that I'd seen probably since, because Ramfest was so renowned for bands putting on incredible shows. And like the Fourie brothers would just go all out in terms of, you know, leveling up, helping bands level up. It was one of the best sets that I'd seen since like the Antwoord. Um, and I, I just remember thinking like, it's, it was it was very special. It was a a, a combination of of factors, and it's and I remember thinking like, geez, you know, you got it right with Fokov, but you've got it right a second time, which is like very rare. Yeah, yeah, and and I, like I said, it took us it just took us a very long time <laughs> to get it right. It took us five years, but I mean, um, yeah, like like I said. I, um, uh, when we kicked off, it wasn't that easy. It took it took us it took some time, you know, to get your stride. Mm. For me, it was a very, very. I was doubting myself very much in those early years of Funka Cartel, and you know, and it kind of was worsened by me partying super hard, and like that had an effect on my performance, and that had an effect on my writing. So that like was like this this uh what do you call it like a stumbling effect each thing was kind of affecting each other um and yeah it it was it was a rough time knock on effect that's what that's what you call it that's one yeah (laughs) but do you think that pulling yourself towards yourself and getting it right a second time with van kirk cartel gave you the confidence that you needed in order to go solo yeah i think how that thing happened like like i i always tell people like i never wanted to be a solo artist never in my life i never thought it, it will become that i never really? i just i just wanted to be in a band i would play whatever you know what i mean i would play bass guitar whatever that was my plan you know in folk of the only reason i became the singer was I was the cuckest guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 why I was I was a singer. Like oh God. Um, I was supposed to play guitar in Fokker Police Car, me and Hunter, and we went for a rehearsal at Johnny's parents' house. And he was just there, and then he started jamming with, and we were like, "Oh no, no, no! He's way better than both of us." <laughs> you know why am I playing guitar? So they were like, "Okay, you're the singer now." That's how I became the singer. I never thought I was going to be a singer even you know what I mean so um Van Kokertal also came to a place where things changed for people like the main thing that mm-hmm. happened there was Jason went to the states he wanted to go pursue a career over there and we carried on for a while we played with Dylan for a while but and I love Dylan he's like an amazing drummer an amazing human being but the dynamic in the band was never the same mm-hmm. you know like you sometimes if you change a member it just doesn't sit right as a whole you know and it never got together like that so a time came where i i wasn't sure like what i was going to do now you know folk of police car is not active van kagartel is not active i was writing songs i wasn't sure what it was for 
And that became my solo album. And in that process of writing these songs, I kind of realized that, you know, um, I want to play with other musicians and I will always play with other musicians. But, you know, if I call this thing Francia van Koch, I can always do it and I'll have the last say on what's going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> no one's going to influence my my plan. You know, like in, in a band, there's just you're married to everyone else's idea. You know, like if they want to do something else, it has to go that way, you know. But if you're a solo artist, I've, I know I take the direction. So I realized that in the songwriting process and then I realized it's going to be a solo album. I've asked you this question before, but never on the record. Do you think that your debut album would have been as successful if you hadn't dropped that car and collab before it came out? No, it would not have been that successful. <laughs> fact. I love how he's so honest. <laughs> no, but it's a fact. I mean, there's no beating around the bush there. You know, like, I I got super lucky that it went on my album. You know what I mean? Like, it could have gone on her album. It was just a song that we wrote together. It could have gone either way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I was just super lucky that it uh, came... It 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 was it, it got to go on my album, you know. Like that morning, the album came out. I uploaded that song onto YouTube. Um, I was like, "Cool, nine o'clock, release it." Went for a couple of rehearsals because that was the first night I played a, a show with my band with Tichefar, um in Cape Town in uh, Long Street. But w- when we sound checked, like two o'clock. I looked um, on my phone and there was like 20,000 views at lunchtime. I was like, that is like super weird. Is that even possible? You know, the next day, 90,000 views. It was just like something like that doesn't happen every time you put out a music video, you know? How, so, many, how many millions is it sitting on now? It's, it's 11 million, close to 12, Shrani, I think. That's actually. mad. Yeah, so it's like, that song changed my life. I mean, if it wasn't for that song, um, yeah, my solo career wouldn't have kicked off the way it did. You know, and, and that's a fact. You know, what's crazy about your debut solo album, and for me that time in your career, is a lot of the people who weren't necessarily your fan, now they've all of a sudden changed their tune, you know, because Franny looks a bit different, Franny sounds a lot different. Could you feel this shift at all, especially as the demographic of people who came to your shows started to change? Yeah, no, I could definitely feel it. You know, what made me feel it uh, in the biggest way was my folks got into my music, (laughs) (laughs) which was like, my folks have always been supportive, to make no mistake, you know, like um, through this whole Fuck of Politica thing, it must have been super hard for them, but they were still supportive, you know. They would still come see an acoustic show somewhere. Um, you know, they would support it. They wouldn't say they're proud of me, but they would support it <laughs> because it's something I did. But when when Tufindagyo came out and their friends started liking Tufindagyo, they started liking Tufindagyo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, Knock on then, effect. Then I realized like, okay, cool. Now, my parents are into this, you know what I mean? That is, it's like after 12 years, it took me to convince them, you know what I mean? Quite funny. But, um, yeah, I realized that, you know, the first day that that song went out, people sent me videos of their kids singing the song. You know, it was just like, that has never happened before. Never, never, never. Not anything Funko Cartel, Funko Pliska. No one has ever <laughs> sent me a video of their kids singing a song. Now it's happening more regularly because I think we are of that age where people have kids that sing our songs. You know, mm-hmm. now it happens all the time. But that was the first time it ever happened. And I knew something was different, you know. And, and I mean, like, um, for me... We still play the rages. We still play mm-hmm. um, clubs if we get the chance. I mean, pre-COVID now, but we still play clubs. Um, but we also play theaters where we play to 15-year-olds, to 80-year-olds. You know, it's like, it's it's just 
um, the demographic of who we played has just grown so much and, and it's grown the most for me after that album. You know, not only did a lot change with your music and your audience, but a lot changed with you personally as well. I mean, you got married, you got sober, you've got two children now. And I've met your daughter, Alex, and she is a character, to say the very least. Like, I can't remember the last time I met a child with that much energy and personality. But but what does she understand and what does she think about her father being a musician? No, I think she knows I sing. <laughs> That's what I do for a living. You like, posted I, I, the funniest <laughs> picture on social media the oh, yeah. other day that she had to fill in this card for Father's Day. And it's like, what does my daddy do? My daddy sings. <laughs> yeah, I think she knows, she knows I sing. And she, see, she sees me on, on the television now and again, you know what I mean? So she's, she, I think she realizes like I do something, I entertain people. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I don't think how much she, she really understands. Um, you know, she's been to shows and backstage, but I don't think she thinks it's different from anyone else. You know what I mean? It's like the same. I just do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but she, yeah, she's actually, they're actually dressing up our house at the moment for a mermaid party. that I'm invited to and I'm I, I'm I'm like I have to hide in this room talking to you I'm hiding now while we're dressing up the house inside for the mermaid party um sorry text what did you ask again <laughs> <laughs> no I asked what 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 Alex thinks about you uh, being a musician a musician yeah which, yeah, I think she I think she thinks it's super normal. Like the other day I was boxing. She thought I was a boxer for a while. You know what I mean? It's oh like, my God. It's like, uh, it's all just normal, whatever. Mm. We mentioned earlier during our conversation, your very special relationship that you have with Benant, uh, who's been at your side from the very beginning, your chom, your manager, your bassist, but He's also been very instrumental in a lot of your success and in in growing your solo brand. But I want to know, and I've never asked you this before, how involved are you in the business aspect of Francho Van Kook, PT, PTY, LTD? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm involved in all the decision-making. I mean, I mean um, a lot of the st- stuff um, is ideas that I come up with and I'll present to him you know what i mean but i don't do any of the hard graft i'm terrible with that shit must be nice (laughs) i can't i can't do like phoning people and organizing stuff i come up i think mainly ideas like i will tell him like i would like to do this song this time i would like to do this show can we try this i want to do bigger stuff blah 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 let's do this um and he will facilitate all of that stuff you know what i mean um, he also helps me with strategically planning like the future, you know, when I need to put something out, when I need to focus on this, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. And he- manages everything around that. Because for us also the focus shifts from Folk of Policicar to Francia van Coke from time to time. You know what you also do, Franny, is you arrive everywhere on time, like for this interview, and I really appreciate it. You are one of the very few. <laughs> in the hall of fame here at text talks for people who who pitch up on time i really appreciate it i am a punctual freak uh, like like i said I, it's because of my mom being late for church all the time oh my gosh i think I'm i love that story freak. that's so funny but you've also enjoyed a very long very fruitful partnership with jägermeister mm. first first with Fokov and and now as a solo artist what has their support meant to you over all of these years especially as you know there aren't really that many brands anymore in this country that are investing money in the alternative side of music yeah it's crazy eh? like we, we've been involved with jägermeister since 2005 Amazing. on and off and um jäger has really helped us do things that we would have not been able to do you know like uh, put on tours make music videos um and in this lockdown time jägermeister pulled me through so much um 
um, because because they had ideas. You know, like uh, we were putting on little uh, online um, meet and greet Jaeger things. I was very lucky that I was part of an ad that they 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 did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jaeger just helps us with a lot of stuff. I mean, this year we did a music video together. My begin from the Aina music video. Jägermeister was involved. Um, so it's basically someone that helps us do things that we won't be able to do without them. Mm. And and that is wonderful. They were also a sponsor of the Fokov Sick 17 live stream that happened in the middle of our lockdown last year. Uh, you know, which, I mean, like you said, they've you've been working with them since 2005. But the fact that, especially an alcohol brand with the restrictions that we had and the prohibition of sales that we had, an alcohol brand will stick by you and still like give you money and, and sponsor you during a time where, I mean, you know, they're not necessarily. When people, when people can't buy booze. Exactly. Yeah, My fellow South Africans. So that's incredible. I mean, they really, they've really gone out of the way. Like, obviously we have a great relationship with Bia, the, the, I'm not, not exactly sure what her job title is. Is she the, the... She is the experiential marketing manager of Jägermeister. Well, we've got that, a great that... relationship with the experience. What do you call it? Experiential. <laughs> <laughs> experiential marketing manager, Bia. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got a great relationship with her. And I think she also digs what we do. So it's a, it's a mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah, you mentioned that you're front and center in their new TV advert, which is so rad. That advert is so cool, and it features a whole bunch of local creatives, including your chom illustrator, Mava Marshall, yeah, who you've yeah, worked yeah. with for years on album exactly. artwork and merch and Fokoflager. But what's your take on the new wave of artists that's emerging in this country because it's a totally different time like socially and politically to when Fokov emerged what's going on eh? musically <laughs> i don't really know to be honest <laughs> oh my god it's like when people ask me do you listen to podcasts and i'm like no because i'm too busy doing my own what do you <laughs> the only things that i hear about is like african stuff i mean and like uh, there's a lot of Big Afrikaans things coming out. There's a guy called Apple. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, I have. He's like super huge. Um, and uh, that's the only thing I really hear about. Can I tell um, you somebody to check out? Oh, maybe I've heard, there's another one guy that I know. Uh, it's a guy's name, but he sounds like Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, yeah? Jevert Snyman. I like him. Oh, he's incredible. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. Yeah, very lacquer. He's also I part really, of Rough really, Magic now. Exactly, yeah. I really dig him. Um, I, I'm just going to go down things that I like quickly. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> okay, but let me tell you, there is a singer-songwriter, folky guitarist by the name of Jacob Swan. And he's I've heard that name. I've heard that name. Franny, he's been performing in and around for the last five years, right? And it was only now during lockdown that he decided, okay, I've got this time on my hands. Let me record something. And he's recorded cool. a six-track EP. And the reason that I single him out to you is because his first single, it's called Leaf. And Leaf is the first song, well, the first Afrikaans ballad that I've enjoyed since your collab with, with Karin. And cool. I think that he's such a great talent. Um, and it's uh, three tracks uh, are English and three tracks are Afrikaans. It's a bilingual awesome. EP. I'm going to check him out right now. Yeah, Jacob Swan. So I think the full EP is only out on Friday, but but check out the, the song. The song is definitely cool. out. Like really rad. And a little bit of like Americana vibes to it, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry that I, I feel like I'm not clued up with what's going on at the moment. Nah. But I mean, uh, I'm listening to a lot of, Music. There's so much stuff coming out. I feel like I can't actually keep up with what's coming out in the world. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like I get this album. I listen to the Weekends album, and the next thing, um, there's like something out. I listen to the Royal Blood album. Then the next day, there's a Strokes album. Then the next day, there's like a Nothing But Thieves album. There's just 
I can't actually keep up with everything that's coming at me. You know what I mean? So I feel like I'm listening to a lot of music, but it's hard to keep up. And I still want to make my own. Exactly. And on that note, what's happening with new music? Yeah, okay. So this this year, um, okay, obviously 2019 I did Dachtrum in Suburbia. That mm-hmm. was released like end of the year. And in the lockdown time, I did a couple of collabs. Uh, I, me and Matthew did a song together, me and from Pletzen, me and Jan Blom. <laughs> and we played those songs at the Franz and Frinder show last year. Mm-hmm. And then this year I was like, damn, I'm going to, my next mission is fourth solo album. That's going to be my mission of 2021, right? So I started writing a couple of songs early in the year. And then this boxing thing came into my life. <laughs> So then I became a boxer for like three months. So I like I I completely kind of had to kind of come down from being a boxer. You know, it's a month later now after that fight I had, and I feel like I'm ready to make music again. You know, like uh, I just felt like I was the savage fighter, all-consuming boxer enthusiast for three months. Um, so I feel ready to make music now again. It was good for me just to like switch off and do something completely different for a bit, just to kind of clock my mind back into, you know, I want to be creative and I want to write songs and I want to make music now again. Let's talk about the track that you released just after you won called Onset Gewen. If you didn't win that match, <laughs> would you have changed the title? Yes. <laughs> because it would have, and, wouldn't have and made I would sense. Have, I would have kept it for a while. I think I would have like kept it until next year, next album or something. But, but I'll tell you how that track came about. Like nine weeks before the fight, I was obviously... I really went into this thing full on. I don't mm. know how to explain it, but like... Um, you basically became a boxer for those months. I know, like, that will sound very stupid to real boxers, but, like, I, I became a boxer. You know what I mean? I, like, I, that's all I thought about. I'm, like, I unfollowed everyone on Instagram. I just followed boxing stuff. So I could see, like, new punches and new movements. I watched boxing dockies. I, um, I trained kind of six to seven days a week, something. You know, I would either be boxing or running or, or both. And like nine weeks before the fight, so there I was only like training for like three weeks. So then um, I, uh, I I wanted to write the song with Hunter and Fred for a while now because I've never worked with just the two of them on something. I've obviously I've worked with Hunter a lot, I've worked with Fred a lot, I've worked with Yevels a lot, but I've never just written with the two of them. So I wanted to do something with the two of them and me. And nine weeks before the fight, we got together, and the only thing I had on my mind was like I want to. I want to write like a victory song. That's I all I win. wanted. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> so I was like thinking like along the lines of like we are the champions or power from Kanye West. You know, that, I was like thinking along those lines. You know, like an entrance song for a fight, something that people can chant in a stadium, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, we we started writing the song then nine weeks before we had it recorded and everything done completely done five weeks before the fight so um a week before the fight vinan tells me no most we must upload it now because then we can put it out next friday what are we going to do for a cover image <laughs> so i was like no 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 whoa, 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 whoa. i'm confident but i'm like you never know what could happen what if i lose <laughs> what if i lose and i put the song out or it it's not gonna it's not gonna sit well it will be a complete joke yeah you know Benan, I mean? slow down <laughs> yeah so so we actually kept it back for a week um and i asked a friend of mine you Nell, to come and document the whole process of me training etc shaving my head fighting whatever so we had all this footage and when the fight ended we were like okay cool we're gonna put out the music video the song we uploaded as soon as we could after that. So it came out, I think, like a, a week after, the next week after uh, the fight. And luckily, everything kind of worked out. But, I mean, if if I lost, I would have probably 
change the title to Ons is nog levendig, which is the next line mm-hmm. in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And um, I would I would have kept it for maybe like next year. <laughs> so luckily everything worked out. But that also motivated me when I was like running and training. I was like thinking like, I have to win, I have to win because I'm putting out the song. I have to win, I have to win. You know what I mean? And then you won. Just, yeah, and it was an incredible experience. I mean, I'm so glad I did it. Like, it, um, it's, it's, it's crazy to, like, shift focus, you know. Like, for, for 20 years or for 18 years, my focus has been, like, I want to make music. I want to play shows. And I, for, like, for four months of my life or three months of my life, I changed my focus to I want to do something else. I'm doing this physical thing. I'm going into battle, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it was cool. I really enjoyed it. And, um, and I've, I've, I felt good physically because I've never been as fit. And, and I think that has also kind of changed the way I want to look at like staying physical and super healthy. And, and I've always, I've, I think I've been kind of healthy for the last couple of years, but I've never trained like this. Kind of, I want to keep up like a high level of fitness for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I've never felt as, as much adrenaline. It was crazy, crazy to come down from that. And now I feel I'm back to normal again a month later. <laughs> Are you and Derek still chums? Hey, to be honest, though, like we've only met once before the fight. So we actually became chums through this fight. I see. So I'll say we're better chums now than what we've ever been. So, so yes, we are. And I mean, there's got to be a little bit of a, you know, let me dust the my shoulder off for beating a springbok. I mean, those are obviously things I thought about going into this fight. I was like, this is my, I'm 40. I'm never going to, I I love sport. You know what I mean? I'm never going to have another shot at sporting glory. This was like my <laughs> last shot at sporting glory. I thought that the whole time. It's like my last and only shot at sporting glory. Here we go. And I also thought like, I can tell people forever, you know, I love rugby as well, but I can tell people forever, I, I beat the Springbok. Exactly. In the boxing ring, you know what I mean? Amazing. <laughs> oh, but Franny, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me on Text Talks today. You're one of my favorite people, and I hope that when you release your fourth album, you come back and we sit down and we talk about where you're at then. Because I'm sure that you're going to achieve like 500 more feats in between now and the next time that I talk to you. Hey, Tex, really, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and I've loved your podcast. Yeah, I've, I've, I've told you that in person, so it's not a lie. You're a star. Um, and um, yeah, you're doing amazing stuff. Thank you for having me on. And um, yeah, thanks for wishing me well and all the best. Ons is gepalen verwarmen In ons 
to Francois Van Koch for joining me on this week's episode. Text Talks is coming to you from the amazing Kaya Creative Studios at Neighborhood in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Shout out to Tom's, the only music store for keeping us connected. From me, your host Tex, my producers Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our researcher El Clapper. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>